It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. As you heard uh, Greg read just a second ago, can you, can you believe that there's more clothing involved in this situation again this week? We just read, you just read to us about Jesus' clothing. After all the clothing we talked about last week in the message, by the way, what happened to 75% of the people from last week? I don't know what's the deal. Something special going on last week that uh, didn't know about? Uh, we're going to pop some more tags uh, this morning. And what I find fascinating, what I find absolutely fascinating is the continuous references to the clothing situation here. I, Jesus with the clothing. Clothing is very symbolic in the Bible. Very, very symbolic. It communicates something about a person. And, and it's communicating, particularly this one, what we just read, what just read, communicates something very important about Jesus, which we're going to get to in just a moment. We are in a series called Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Why not something else? Or why not nothing at all? Why exactly Jesus? So Jesus makes, in the Gospel of John, seven, seven, sorry, seven, bold statements. We're on the sixth one where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, listen, um, that's a very controversial statement. Extraordinarily controversial. There's some of us, you know, we're like, oh yeah, I'm cool. Why would that give anybody a problem for him to say he's the only way? That's, you know, something. But a lot of people hear that statement and they get very upset with it. They say, that's offensive. It's narrow. It's insensitive. How in the world can you say that you're the only way? That's my problem with Christians. Why would you say that? So some of us here this morning are like, totally cool with it. But uh, you have friends or family members that you don't bring up that discussion anymore because it's too volatile. Or some of you here this morning, you think yourself, you know, that's just too narrow. I understand. There's a lot of things I like about Jesus and Christianity, but I don't like that. 
Do we have to talk about that? So we want to try to hit this head on today because when you take that statement and you isolate it, like you detach it from the surroundings that, it, that it's in, the context when it's in, it does sound narrow. It does sound exclusive. It does sound insensitive. But when you do the smart thing and you put it, plop it down right dead center in the context in which it was given, it totally changes the story to it. Well, hopefully it'll change the story to it for you. We just need to understand exactly what is going on here. And so this is what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, I gave you a little bit of John chapter 13. I gave you a little bit of John chapter 14 because I just wanted to give you the flavor of what is happening here. And right in the middle of that, Jesus says these words at the beginning of John chapter 14. He says, believe in the Father, believe in God the Father, and believe in me. God the Father is God, I am God, believe, believe. So the word belief is the main word, is the key word for the entire gospel of John. Very important word. We need to understand what it means. Belief, faith, trust. What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to believe on something? What does it mean to have trust? Does it mean that we just check our brains at the door? We detach reason? Is that what the word... Because there's a whole lot of people who feel that's exactly what it means. We just got to believe. Even when it doesn't make sense, you have to believe. And that's what it means to have faith when it doesn't make sense. You just jump out and believe. Well, I want to tell you this. Here's the word belief, all right? The Greek word that is used, that Jesus Christ used there. All right, I have it on your little outline. It's pisteo. And in the Greek, you know what that means? It means to think. Oh, wait a minute. It means to think. It doesn't mean to shut your brain down. It means to actually engage your brain, to think more. It means to consider. It means to evaluate a situation and to really think. This is why some people call Christianity the thinking per- person's faith. The thinking person's faith. I heard a guy say one time, this is why some people won't become Christians. They refuse to think. That totally changes the flavor here. So Jesus says right in the middle of it, it's very important for us to think. Now, when Jesus makes this statement, it's a highly emotional moment. He's in the upper room, everybody. So if you want to put the context of this thing together, Jesus is in the upper room. He's hours away from his arrest. He's hours away from beating, being beaten brutally, from being nailed to a cross. He's telling his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And I'm going to have to leave you. I'm going to have to go away, and I'm going to die. And they're like bewildered. They're like, what in the world? That's the context. It's a highly emotional moment. And what he's saying to them is, look, 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 look. Even though things are going to get really emotional, I want to prepare you. I mean, you feel emotional now, but oh, this ain't nothing to what's getting ready to happen. Like, it's all going to break loose here really shortly. And this is what I want you to do. Don't allow your emotions to carry you away. This is what he's saying to them. Don't allow your emotions to carry you away. I want you to think. Back up. Calm yourself down. Think. I have coached so many basketball teams for my son, you know, growing up when he started playing basketball when he was in second grade. And so I coached, I finally coached my last basketball team this year because he's a senior in high school. So I'm done. I can remember so many times telling those boys in the game, they get emotional. They just, you wouldn't believe the stuff they would do. Just crazy stuff. Call timeout. Give me a 30 second. Bring on. I probably said this a thousand times. Fellas, Think slow down and let's just think for a minute. Because when we get emotional and we make knee-jerk reactions, emotional reactions, we kind of do dumb stuff, don't we? 
We can care. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Look, look, things are getting ready to get really emotional. And you need to just engage your brain more than ever. And you need to think, well, what is he saying to think about what? What are we supposed to think about? Well, he's saying, think about all the stuff you've heard me say and all the things that I've done. Meditate and ponder on that. Don't forget. Oh, so John, look, think, think about this. John the Baptist sends a message to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is in jail. He's going to be beheaded. He doesn't know that, okay? but he knows he's in jail and he's in trouble. And so he sends a message to Jesus, and he says, should we believe in you? Are you the one? And what does Jesus say back? Does he say, tell the messenger, go back and tell John the Baptist, hey, man, get over it and just believe. He doesn't do that at all. He says, go back and tell John the Baptist all this evidence. And he gives a litany, all this list of evidence for him to think about. The book of Romans, when it says we should have faith, you know what it does? is because of all this evidence for us to think about, we should have faith. Faith, everybody, is about thinking. And it's about thinking on certain pieces. Of I want to give you one more tangent. This is really important in the context of Jesus making this statement. One more thing. In John chapter 20, verse number 29, it's at the end of the book. Jesus is risen from the dead. He appears right to Mary. Then he appears to a bunch of people in the upper room. But Thomas isn't there. And because Thomas isn't there, we know him as who? What's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. He's become known as Doubting Thomas. And Jesus appears. He says, look, Thomas, touch, go ahead, touch my hands and my side. You see where the nail marks and all this kind of stuff. And then he makes this statement in John 20, 29. He says, look, blessed are those who have believed without seeing. You know the way I've always read that? Here's the way I've always read that. Thomas, bad Thomas, bad boy. You know, you had to see me in order to believe. But blessed is everybody else who didn't see and they believed. And I thought he's giving a rebuke to him because all the other disciples over here, well, they were just believing, but Thomas had to see. But stupid me, (laughs) that's not true. All the other disciples over here did see, didn't they? They were at the tomb and and Jesus appears in the other room. So he's not giving a rebuke to Thomas. Who's he then giving the blessing to? Who's getting the blessing? You are. You're getting the blessing. You're the ones that did not see Jesus. You weren't there 2,000. Some of you might feel 2,000 years old, but you're not, okay? You weren't there 2,000 years ago. You didn't see the empty tomb with your physical eyes. And so Jesus says, I want to extend a special blessing to all those who have not seen me raised, like you, Thomas, and everybody else here in the upper room. I want to extend a special blessing. Now, listen, there are certain advantages for us and disadvantages to us, right? Our disadvantages... We didn't get to see the empty tomb. The advantage to us is, is we're like on an airplane and we're 30,000 feet above the ground and we're looking down at all of this and we get to take in all of this evidence, all of this information about Jesus Christ and his way and we get to look at it rather than being down, right? It's like you're watching the final four, just like I'm watching the final four, right? Last night, if you're from Michigan, You're very, very happy if you're from Kentucky. You're very, very happy about your situation with Louisville and Michigan being, right? And you're watching those games. And how many times have you seen those games? And you said, that dumb player, why didn't he see this guy is wide open? And you're jumping up and down, yelling at the TV screen. I know some of you people do it just like I do in my house. Why can't he see the person's wide open? Because you can't see down there on the ground level. But when you're way up there where the TV is flying high or you're up in the stands, you can see everything. Well, that's where you are. You're up in the stands. You're 30,000 feet, and you're getting to look down, and you're getting to consider all the ways of Jesus. 
You're getting to think about it and ponder and say, does this make sense? Now, this is why this is very important, because now we're going to look at the way of Jesus Christ. We gave you an envelope. I need you to take that envelope out, right? A very important, very important envelope. We would like you to write on this. If you don't have a pen, borrow it from your neighbor, all right? Just borrow it from your neighbor. Once you write, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. You might say, well, John, I don't, I don't agree with that statement. It's okay. We're not, there's no video cameras going on in here this morning. We're not going to say to you, wait a minute, you wrote this, so you, know, you have to believe in it. No, this is a sermon illustration. That's all there is. And if you write it on it, at the end, when you walk out, we're going to give $1,000 cash to put in that envelope if you have Jesus is the way on that. Okay? Please, just write it on there. We'll make sense of this at the end. All right? Jesus is the way. We're going to come back to this at the end. Now, you can put the envelope away. And let's talk about this. What is Jesus's way? What, the early church, all over the book of Acts, you read this, they were followers of the way. The word way is really important. What is Jesus's way? If I'm going to be tremendously offended that Christianity is so narrow, so exclusive, it's so insensitive, what a terrible thing to say is the only way. Let's, what way are we talking about? Let's Let's think about Jesus' way for a moment, all right? So here's the first thing. Number one about Jesus' way, so very clear. Jesus' way is to put you first. Please write that down on your outline. Jesus' way is to put you first. Jesus' way is to be a servant. We see that. We talk, remember, we talked a few moments about clothing. The clothing that Jesus Christ put on in these verses here was the clothing. When he washed their feet in the upper room hours before his arrest, the clothing that he put on was the clothing of the lowest servant of all servants. In other words, Jesus made himself so low, he made himself so low, the lowest of them all, that that meant where are you? If he's the lowest, then where are you? means that you are where? One word. What do you think it is? If he's lower than you, you are higher than he is. Exactly. So he's pushing you up. He's putting you first. He puts these clothes on and he makes himself the lowest. Everybody looked down upon the servant that would wash other people's feet. This is what Jesus Christ does. He puts himself in the lowest possible light. Look what Philippians says about him. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So he made himself nothing. He makes himself nothing so that we can be something. We love genuine servants. We absolutely, we hear public servants say all the time, I'm just honored to serve the public. And sometimes they, sometimes they actually do serve and sometimes they actually don't serve. We hear about that in the news sometimes. But we hear, people, we hear people say that. I'm honored to serve. Well, Jesus Christ actually genuinely serves. He says that in the Good Shepherd saying, I will serve you. I won't let you down. I won't be the imperfect servant. I will serve you. And I will give my life for you. Here's the thing, everybody. We love, honor, and respect all around this great globe of ours. Somebody who serves. Case in point, this guy right here. Who is this? Pope Francis. This is Pope Francis. Why is Pope Francis' uh, popularity soaring right now? Why is it soaring? Because Pope Francis is known to be a genuine servant. Pope Francis is the person who, right after he became Pope, went to a juvenile detention center and washed the feet of all kinds of people, of all kinds of faith. Not just the Catholic kids who had been arrested. No, no. 
he washed the feet of people of all kinds of backgrounds, men and women, boys and girls alike. And so Time Magazine and other articles were like, whoa, this guy is a genuine servant. We love that. You know what also this article says, which is really kind of interesting? It says, isn't it about time that the church, check this out, more clothing involved here. Isn't it about time the church lays aside its, quote, gorgeous clothes and once again serves the people? It says in this article here that the reading right before the Pope became the Pope, right? It says the reading all around the world in the lectionary. Some of you might know the lectionary. Not. It's okay. It's a reading that would do. Okay. In the churches was Luke 15, the prodigal son. And it says that preachers all around the globe are preaching. It's time for prodigals to come back to the church. It's time for people who've left to just come back. And you know what Time Magazine said? It said, it said, maybe because Pope Francis has a genuine servant's heart, he'll get up there and say, it's finally time for the church to come back to its people. Very popular to be a servant. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a problem with Jesus' way of putting you first? Are you like, doggone it, tired of him putting me first? Why can't Jesus put me last? I want to be last. I don't like this... I don't like this insensitive Jesus putting me first. I want to be last. Would anybody say that around the world? No. Because putting us first is respected and honored. It makes it on the front page of Time magazine. It makes it on the front page of periodicals all around the world. Because putting us first is honored. It's celebrated. It's not insensitive at all. That's Jesus' way. Jesus' way is to put us first. Here's the second thing about Jesus' way that we learn from in the scriptures. Number two, Jesus provides your innocence, your innocence. Human beings struggle with guilt. We do. We can try to suppress it. We can try to ignore it. We can try to enlighten ourselves out of it. There's no reason for me to feel guilty. You know, I'm more enlightened that I know that just some person has an issue with their self and they're heaping this stuff on me and I shouldn't feel guilty. We can do that all we want. But America's a fairly enlightened society. And still Americans struggle with tremendous guilt. So something is not quite right. We need to deal with guilt. And so this is exactly what Jesus Christ does. You know how he deals with our guilt? He tells us in the upper room. He says, he says I'm going to give you a new covenant. And this covenant is going to be in my, what do you think he says? The new covenant in my what? It's one word. Anybody want to venture a guess? In my what? Blood. Blood. Now, I don't know about you, but for me... All my life, I had no problem with blood. I grew up, you know, singing these songs. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Or, oh, the blood of Jesus. And then it hit me when I was a teenager. I didn't really like blood. Blood kind of freaked me out a little bit. Went to visit a friend. He was in the hospital. I was 16 years old. He had blood all over the place. His lip was hanging off him. And they rushed me in before they even fixed him up. And I was in Fairfax Hospital. I got like, they pushed me right up to his face. And, oh, it was a mess. And boom, I went out like a light. So uh, I realized I don't like blood. And I'm thinking to myself, what is the deal with blood? Why is blood so popular and so important? Because we read about it all over the place in Scripture. I remember a number, uh, many, many years ago, actually, we had a musical group come to Grace and sing for us. I remember, I remember talking to the guy who was like the lead of them. And I said, hey, look, um, I need you to know something about Grace. Grace is not like, ch- like churchy lingo. You don't use churchy lingo when you, because... We mixed backgrounds with just people, and they're not going to get it. And the guy was kind of indignant. He's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? You think I don't know 
what I'm, I know, I, 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 I won't ever, I won't use churchy lingo. What are you talking about? I was like, okay, I just want to make sure that you knew. And so we got out there and I could feel it. It was like 75% way through their, you know, whole musical set thing. And uh, I could, oh man, I feel like he's, I feel like he's working himself up for a big mo- churchy moment here. And sure enough, man, he got that microphone and he went down on his knees. I'd go down on my knees if I wouldn't be able to get back up. He goes down on his knees and he looks up to heaven, he puts his hand up and he says, I just want to kneel. This is to everyone. I want to kneel at the foot of the cross and let the blood of Jesus just pour down over me. I thought, that's it. That's the, that possibly was a churchy thing that I did not want you to say, but just saying. So what's the deal with blood? Hebrews chapter 10 is really good. Actually, the entire book of Hebrews is totally awesome. All right. But here's what it says in chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, how How are we going to enter? The holy place is God's very presence. How are we going to enter God's very presence? By the blood of Jesus Christ. And then look what it says next. By a new and living way. I am the way, the truth, and life. The blood of Jesus Christ. See how it all kind of beautifully works together? By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings us, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure Water. Let's just stop right there. What is the what does the Bible mean when it talks about blood? Two really important things. There's more, but I just want to give you two really important things. First thing it means is something, when the Bible talks about blood, it means that something is seriously wrong. Like back in, in Bible days when somebody was bleeding, just blood just gushing out of them, you knew there was a problem. They, they didn't have all the sophisticated stuff that we do medically. There was a massive, massive, huge problem. So when you see blood, when you see blood in the, in, in the Bible, you know that what it's saying is something is severely wrong. Something is severely wrong. That's the first thing we need to know. Oh, think about it. What was the first time blood was shed? When was the first time that blood was ever shed in the Bible? And who shed that blood? No, God. God shed the first blood. Adam and Eve, they fall. Consequently, they feel tremendous shame. Adam and Eve feel tremendous shame. They're guilty. They don't want, they want to cover themselves from each other and they want to cover themselves before God because they feel guilty. You know what the word guilty in the Bible, the book of Hebrews uses the word guilt uh, or conscience. You use guilty conscience. You use conscience more than any other book in the entire Bible. What the word conscience means in the Bible and what it means in the book of Hebrews is that you feel unfit before somebody's presence. There's something wrong about you that you don't want them to lay eyes on you, particularly before God, but you could feel this before other people. You feel shame. In other words, what it means is this, everybody. Think about this, okay? It means if people really knew who you were, if they really, really knew everything about you, if they knew the thoughts that go through your mind or the things that you've done, you would feel embarrassed. You would feel shame. Or, or, or you look at your appearance or some, there's something about you or they knew your past, whatever, that you feel guilty about that. And we feel we have to cover. That's what it means by a guilty con- We feel unfit for a holy God or we feel unfit before somebody else. And so God is the first person in a very loving act who after the fall and knowing that Adam and Eve feel tremendous shame, they have this guilty conscience. They feel unfit before God and each other. God kills an animal, sheds the blood of an animal because something is severely wrong and takes the animal skin and makes clothing out of them, out, out, out of the skin for them to wear, to cover their guilt and shame. So the first thing it means is that 
something is seriously wrong, blood. Second thing that blood means in, in the Bible, it, it, it just points directly to guilt. So I'll, I'll say a phrase and see if you can't end this for me. Uh, their blood is on your... That's right. means that there's guilt. Something's seriously wrong and that there's guilt that is involved. Jesus Christ sheds his blood because we are mortally guilty. We are mortally guilty. Now... What is the definition in our society and around the world of somebody who is a hero? Somebody is a hero, right? We, we lift people up who are heroes. We celebrate people who are heroes. What have they done? They've sacrificed their life for somebody else, right? September 11th, the firemen ran into the building while other people were running out of the building, and they were honored. They were revered. You read about stories about war, about soldiers in war, and you have a foxhole, somebody throws a grenade in, and you've got one soldier who goes and just leaps on that grenade, sacrifices his life so the rest of his buddies who are in that hole with him can survive. And we say, what about that? We say, they are a genuine hero, and we're in awe of them. We're in awe of them because of what they would have done. I, I, I reviewed this this past week, Sandy Hook, the terrible tragedy you know, up north in Connecticut, the terrible, terrible tragedy. You should go back and read some of the statements about those teachers in that school and what they did. Like the principal who ran at the gunman and just threw her body to protect those kids. And the words like tremendous hero, incredible hero, awesome hero, phenomenal hero to sacrifice their life. See, this is not something that is insensitive or offensive. We don't find that offensive that somebody would do that. We say, oh my gosh. I am in awe of a person who would do that. This is Jesus Christ's way. This is his way to sacrifice his life, to take the bullet, to take the grenade, so that we don't have to, to give his blood. That's his way. That's his way. And that's not offensive at all. Actually, it is celebrated around the globe. Third and final thing about the way of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ pummels all of our accusers and abusers. He pummels all of our accusers and our abusers. In John chapter 18, everybody, when Jesus Christ is in the garden, and here we have this army that comes in, and they are armed to the teeth. I mean, they brought every weapon that they had to arrest Jesus Christ. And Jesus was never leading a revolt. And they come, and they're just armed. And they say, we're here to get Jesus. And they were going to take everybody else with them. They're just going to do, take them all. And Jesus does what? In his hour of tremendous need, did he say, Okay, we're all going together. No, 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 no. He very clearly says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You came to get me. Let everybody else go. He protects everybody else. And this is the way that Jesus Christ operates. Look, I don't respect somebody who is all love and mercy, and neither do you. I know this about you. We don't as people, as human beings, we don't respect people who are all just, oh, love, all mercy. We don't respect that. Why? We respect somebody who is a wonderful blend of love and mercy and also of truth and justice. You're working at a place. Let's say you're working at a place and you're suffering some kind of injustice and you've got a boss who does absolutely nothing about that. Do you respect that? Do you like it? You're like, oh, it's good. I'm okay. Just keep heaping the injustice and the, all the hurt and all the pain on me and let all the people get away with all kinds of junk. Do you do that? No, of course you don't do that. You're very angry about that. And if you have a boss that stands up and says, hey, look, man, 
all the injustice has come this far and it'll go no farther. We're putting an end to that today. We're putting an end to the, uh, the reign of terror over your life today. You're like, yes, praise Jesus. Thank you. This is awesome. I love it. Let justice come down like mighty waters. We love that. We love to hear stories about people who are being mistreated and somebody comes to their rescue, don't we? We love to hear those kind of stories. Jesus Christ, in John chapter 2, cleanses the temple. People were being abused in the temple. What you had is you had people who didn't have a lot of money. They come to Jerusalem. They have to make a sacrifice. They have to make a sacrifice. And so what the people did that were running the temple is they said, okay, the sacrifice you brought it, bought is no good. I mean, that might have cost you five bucks in your hometown. We're going to make you buy a sacrifice here that we deem as worthy. It's actually going to cost you $500. So people were being abused and mistreated. What did Jesus do? He said, well, man, that's just the way it goes. He didn't do that at all. He says, he's over the corner. He's making a whip. He's ticked, right? Veins popping all out his head and everything. Just, he's upset. And he goes in there and just throwing tables. All right. And you know what we say about that? We say, yes, go Jesus. Take care of people who are being mistreated. The woman caught in adultery. She says she's caught in the very act of adultery. The law said when somebody is caught in adultery, you had to bring both people outright. So somehow, like Star Trek happened or something, the guy got beamed up, he's lost, we couldn't find him, he disappeared. I don't know what happened to him. We got only the woman, right, which was against the law in the first place. But here, And so there she is. Did you say, well, law says kill her, kill her. What did he do? He comes to her aid, he protects her, he protects her, and he, he, through truth, through the truth that he shared, shamed the people that wanted to stone her to death. And we hear stories like that, and we're like, go God. Love it. I eat that up every day of the week. That is absolutely awesome. To, to bring justice in a terrible situation like that is exactly what Jesus Christ does. Well, our ultimate abuser and accuser is the devil himself. Revelation 12.10 says this about the devil. For the accuser of brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Well, who's hurling them down? Jesus Christ is going to do that for every single one of us. We will stand before God's throne one day. The devil's going to be right there and say, yep, they were lousy. You should have seen the things they've done. Jesus Christ is going to step out, and he's going to take the devil. He's going to throw him right out. Get out. Because he's going to protect us. These are the things that Jesus Christ does for us. So as review, here's Jesus' way. Jesus' way is to put you first. Who is sick and tired of Jesus Christ putting you first? So when you're talking to a friend or a family member, right, and they're like, I can't stand this thing about Christianity and it's so narrow, it's insensitive, here's the thing that you say, what do you find offensive about Jesus Christ putting you first and being a genuine servant? What about that offends you? Number two, second thing about Jesus' way is he takes the bullet for us. What do you find offensive about somebody who sacrifices their life to save somebody else? What about that is offensive to you? Because in the world that we live in, it's really celebrated. So how, are you, how do you see this differently from the rest of the world? And finally, what do you find offensive about somebody who steps in and stops abuse? What do you find offensive about that? This is Jesus Christ's way. Now that kind of puts everything in a different light. What I want to suggest to you today, and what we would like you to do, is we'd like you to take this envelope here, and we want you to rip off that sermon outline. And the next time that thought goes to you, wait a minute, it does sound narrow when Jesus makes a statement. That does, I don't think, rub the, we want you to take the sermon outline and put it in here. 
and you'll have Jesus is the way. And then you could pull it out and say, oh, wait a minute. That's right. That's right. When it talks about Jesus is the way, it means that he's, he's a servant to me. He puts me first, sacrifices his life for me, and he protects me from all of my accusers and my abusers. That's what the way means. Or when you're having a conversation with somebody somewhere, sometime, someplace, and they're like, hey, man, I just am fed up with Christianity and how narrow it is. Well, you know, could I tell you what Jesus Christ meant? Could we just not isolate that? Could we engage our thinking for a second, our reason caps? And can we just review what he meant by that? Because maybe, maybe you just don't know. Maybe you've heard some Christian just in kind of an arrogant way say, can I share with you what it means that Jesus is the way and do that? Here, here's what I want you to think about. Now I'm going to show you a video clip and we're gonna, we're gonna, then we're going to get out of here. Okay? I want to suggest to you this morning that this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but by me, is not... It's not something for us as followers of Christ to be embarrassed about or for somebody who is not a follower of Christ to be angry about. I want to suggest to you this morning, this is the most insensitive I am statement of Jesus. I want to suggest to you this morning, this is the most sensitive, comforting, awesome, incredible statement that Jesus Christ may be ever made about himself because his ways are awesome. Don't make a knee-jerk reaction. Don't make an emotional reaction. Think this through. Think it through. I want to show you a video clip. I think... What I'll show you will make sense, but you think it through for yourself. Sorry about the negative comment on lawyers. I didn't make the movie, so if you're a lawyer, please, uh, you know, we're sure you're not a bloodsucker, so I just want to say that. Uh, does that make sense? you understand what I'm saying? Knee-jerk reaction, not really thinking it through, just, whoo, something's, you know, wrong here. This is terrible. But when you back up and you take your envelope and you look at what, you take the time to look at what's inside the envelope, maybe you'll realize it's a bigger bonus than you ever thought that you would ever get. Jesus' way is exactly what we're all looking for. It's what the entire planet craves. I'll say it again. You're talking to somebody about Jesus Christ. It's what the planet craves. That's why we write about it on the web, and on newspapers. That's why it's heralded on TV news shows. This, friends, is what the planet craves. We want this. This is awesome. It's awesome. We celebrate this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Um, we're just... You know, the more we learn about you, the more we're in awe, shocked. Sometimes we make these knee-jerk reactions and we don't think things through. And then we realize, oh my goodness, you're not doing less for me. You're doing much more than I could ever think or imagine. And we are just in awe. Help us to understand, God. Help us to think things through and to understand that you're everything we crave. Your way. Your ways are awesome. Lord, as each one of us tries to make decisions today, help us to make the right decision. In Jesus' name, amen. We are not going to have a closing song. We're going to play some music for you through the iPod. We want to bless you to go. Our prayer team is always over here. If you'd like to pray with somebody, God bless you. Have a great day.